Hi, welcome to another episode of the Jero Psychology Podcast, where we talk about all things Jero. I'm your host, Lindsay Jacobs. Each episode, I bring on a guest and we talk about a topic that's relevant to the field of Jero Psychology. On today's episode, I talk with Dr. Grant Harris about his work in a primary care outpatient clinic that's focused on older adults, and more specifically, GeriPact. Grant Harris is a geropsychologist currently working in the geriatric primary care clinic at the St. Louis VA. He received his doctorate from the University of Alabama with the clinical and research interest in geropsychology. With the help of his advisor and mentor, Dr. Rebecca Allen, Grant was presented with the Outstanding Dissertation Award and the Psychology Department's Award for Outstanding Research by a doctoral student for his work in several domains, including dementia caregiving, the stress process in older adults, and the use of religiosity as a coping strategy in chronic illness. Dr. Harris completed his internship at the Memphis VA, and he stayed there for fellowship in clinical health psychology with an emphasis on late life. He joined the St. Louis VA in 2015. There, he's a member of the Facility Dementia Committee, and he's also a member of the VISM 15 Dementia Committee. In his role as the Jerry Pack psychologist, Grant has created and implemented an interdisciplinary dementia evaluation clinic, and he enacted a facility-wide dementia consult to triage cognitive evaluations to the most appropriate clinic. Dr. Harris was integral to the development of the Geropsychology Fellowship at the St. Louis VA, and he acts as the cognitive evaluation preceptor for the psychology internship and fellowship programs. Grant also recently accepted a role on the board of the Council of Geropsychology Training Programs as the newsletter editor. The views expressed in today's podcast episode are our own and do not represent the views of the Department of Veterans Affairs or the U.S. government. I'm curious how you got interested in working in geropsychology or more broadly how you got interested in working with older adults. Like most things in life, our path just kind of unfolds the way it's supposed to be. I believe that's called synchronicity. So I can remember as an undergrad at the University of Kentucky, I I knew that or I thought I knew that I wanted to to go to graduate school in in clinical psychology. So my idea, what I knew at the point was that you, you, you need to have some solid research experience under your belt when applying. And so I, uh, sent out an email to the whole psychology department saying, hey, I'm ready, willing, and able to work for for anybody that'll have me. And a cognitive psychologist got back with me and said, hey, let's do this. And I got involved in his lab. A lot of what he was studying was um, visual attention and how that changes over the time, over the age uh, developmental course. What really interested me was when we got involved with a neurologist who was Dr. Jica. He was the director of the UK Sanders Brown Center for Aging at the time. And one of my tasks was to work on administering this computerized-based test that was hopefully trying to be able to differentiate folks with a couple different types of dementia. And so that was really interesting to me. And what it did that helps kind of answer this question was it it got me around folks that had dementia. So I'd never really done that in a a clinical way before, personally, really, and also their caregivers. And so that was really the the first experience 
being around that, and I really enjoyed it. There was something about, and this is probably an experience we share, I derive a lot of meaning from working with older adults. Something about folks at that end of the life continuum just is, is very uh, meaningful and purposeful for me. Those experiences led me to apply to programs that, that really had a focus on geropsychology at that time. Uh, dementia and dementia caregiving was was a primary area of focus for me, and uh, I landed where I should have, the way synchronicity goes, and at the University of Alabama working with Becky Allen, and uh, the rest is history. So you just sort of fell into this area of psychology, this area of research. I hear that happens a good bit. It's very cool. And it all worked out. And now you're a geropsychologist. And you and I worked together at the University of Alabama. I know we did a practicum placement in a geriatrics clinic, which was a primary care clinic and a geriatrician led the team. And I remember at one point having a social work trainee with us and a pharmacy resident. And our primary role on that team in the geriatrics clinic was to do very brief mood assessments, cognitive screenings, and to consult with a geriatrician on the team and provide recommendations. Is that similar to what you remember of that experience? Yeah. So our role was to to do brief screenings of cognition and depression and or anxiety if indicated and um, share the results with the group in a huddle afterwards, which, which was really cool for me because it was really my first true experience with interdisciplinary provision of care. So what I liked about that is your results and impressions were shared and integrated in a meaningful way immediately. So I can remember, and I'm sure everybody can, sometimes in graduate school you do all these tests and you administer all this and spend all this time scoring things up and checking things out and looking into the research and you write this huge report. And you print it up and it goes into this paper folder in a file somewhere and nobody ever sees it again besides <laughs> you and your supervisor checks off on it. Uh, but that, so in interdisciplinary teamwork, that's not the case. So I like that, you know, it's not siloed. Mm-hmm. Um, you're really integrated with other folks. And so that was really my first experience with that. And there are so many questions that arrive clinically that benefit from having multiple disciplines present. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So no silo of profession can really know everything. It's just impossible. You know, factors come up that might appear medical at first glance uh, that psychologists can come in and kind of shine a light on and figure out what's going on and uh, vice versa. So factors that appear very psychological from our standpoint, a physician or geriatrician might come in and say, eh, let's check into this and let's check some labs and maybe do a scan here or a scan there and see what's going on. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm thinking back to our practicum experiences. And now that you mention it, yeah, the geriatrics clinic, our role on the team, that was a really great experience and introduction to how well interdisciplinary teamwork can 
can work. I remember the geriatrician on the team was just, was very open, very collaborative. I really enjoyed my time on that team. And I know through your training and now as a staff psychologist, you've had a number of different experiences working in interdisciplinary teams. Right now you're working in a geriatric patient aligned care team or geri pact for short, which I know the VA has rolled out to a number of different VAs. Can you share with me what is a PACT? What does that mean? Sure. So a PACT. So like you said, it's called, it stands for Patient Aligned Care Team. And this came out of what's called the medical home model. So the VA launched this initiative in 2010. And so really, so people listening, envision a circle of healthcare providers or behavioral health providers, kind of a circle of them around the veteran with the veteran in the center or the patient. It's supposed to be veteran-centric, so it focuses on creating a partnership, increasing access to care using a lot of different methods, really focuses on coordinating care among all the team members. And just the whole idea is that it's a team-based care with the veteran at the center. So each patient ideally interacts with the same pact. A pact is generally composed of your primary care provider, a nurse, an RN level nurse that's called a nurse care manager, an LPN, and then a medical support assistant. So those are the, the main core team members. And the idea is that so say you're a veteran, you're going in for primary care. Those are the same folks that you interact with kind of every time you need to go in for something. So it creates this kind of familiarity and, you know, your providers know you and you know your providers. And that's that's really helpful for continuity of care purposes. So that's a pact. So our Jerry Pack clinic, the one I work in, has five Pacts. So there's five PCPs that each have five nurse care managers with them, and then there's LPNs and then clerical support for that group. And then there are extended team members, and that's I'm part of an extended team member that includes, in our group anyway, pharmacy, social work, psychology. Some some Jerry Packs have occupational therapists as part of their extended team members, physical therapists, speech language pathologists, dietitians, and and you can kind of see how with our population, uh, this could be very helpful to have that as part of a team. So, yeah, that that's a pact, kind of what the VA does nowadays. So I didn't realize that some Jerry Pacts had physical therapy and occupational therapy as team members. That's really great. Yeah, it's really cool. You know, at this point, there's a lot of variability in who is on or who serves the Jerry Pack outside of that core team. You know, there's a lot of variability in, in who's there. So... It's something that uh, they're trying to figure out and maybe work on maybe what works best and work on staffing. So because, mm-hmm. you know, the need is is here and is coming on stronger. Yeah. Now, the Jerry Pact where you work, did you come on right as they were really building that service or was it already established? So the service was established. Uh, there was, I want to say... There was four providers at that time, and we've added 
one. Uh, so there's five packed there currently. Before I got there, there was no mental health presence. Hmm. So that was, that was really interesting. So I had to get in and, and kind of establish. Fortunately, I was able to get in to establish things kind of the way I, uh, saw psychology and Jerry Pack should be established. And fortunately, the chief was good with that. So. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. It had been there for a while. And actually there was a, a Grek that had, had been in St. Louis for a while. And this is, this Jerry Pact had come out of that. For the listeners, Grek stands for Geriatric Research Education and Clinical Center. So. What does the population look like that served in Jerry Pact? So I'm curious, what sets Jerry Pact apart from general primary care and what criteria do patients have to meet in order to get referred to Jerry Pact? Excellent. Excellent question. So age is not enough. So we know that at this point, roughly half of veterans in the United States are over the age of 65. So there's nowhere near enough geriatric specialists to cover all those folks. So age is not enough. Uh, generally, veterans seeking primary care at the VA, I think their average age is over 70. And veterans over the age of 65, that's the fastest growing group in the VA. So I believe the average age in my clinic is just right over 80. Um, so age, of course, we, we see that as a factor, but there are other criteria as well. So what you're looking for is the presence of advanced age, complex chronic diseases, neurocognitive disorders, or other geriatric syndromes. So falls, frailty is something we see very commonly, incontinence. You're looking for, you know, multi-comorbidities, those type of things. That's kind of the population that makes up our clinic. Another thing that's important to know and I think is excellent and, and when folks came about thinking about what a Jerry Pack should be is the primary care doctor's panel sizes are smaller. So each pact in a traditional pact, each doctor has about 1,200 folks on their panel. So that's, wow. that's some, about 1,200 folks that, that they see. Jerry Pact, I think it's kind of a recommendation that they see about 65 to 75% of that number. So they're looking at around 800 for Jerry Pact. So this allows for more time to meet with the person and manage the complexity that we see, that we tend to see there. Also notable about Jerry Pact, so there's currently about 70 VA sites that have at least one Jerry Pact clinic and there are about 100 Jerry Packs. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Yeah, because you have multiple packs within an overall clinic. Right. That is really great. I've worked in a VA primary care setting before and the primary care providers, they have a lot to do and a lot to fit within a 30 minute appointment. And the clinic that I was working in, primary care providers would see a 35 year old would come in and then their very next patient might be a 90 year old. And the needs are so different. And it always amazed me how they were able to shift their mindset to, you know, from a thinking about the needs of a 35 year old to the needs of a 90 year old. And 
I imagine that has got to be just incredibly difficult. So I could see real benefit from having a Jerry Pact and also having the primary care providers, giving them that time to spend more time with those individuals to address those needs because 30 minutes a lot of times just doesn't really cut it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's that's what this change in uh, kind of the structure of the Jerry Pact allows for that. So your role on the team, you're the psychologist for five PACTs within this Jerry Pact clinic. What types of activities do you do? Sure. So I'll talk about like just generally. So here's another one one of those acronyms, PCMHI. So we're talking about primary care mental health integration. So technically, that's my job. I'm a PCMHI psychologist. So there are a couple of different models of that. The model that I follow is co-located collaborative care. So I'm present and willing. I'm on site. I'm embedded in the clinic. I'm there for when folks need me. And I think that's one of the the most awesome things that the VA has done in mental health recently. So what's really important about that is it has vastly increased same-day access for mental health care. This can be extremely important and also very therapeutic. So if a doc, you know, in their 30, 45 minutes with somebody, something comes up about depression or insomnia or whatever the case may be, they can literally talk to the person about it and say, hey, we've got a psychologist down the hall. Would you like to meet him? They just bring him right on in the same day. Instead of having to, you know, schedule an appointment with me, they can just walk right in. Um, there's some good research that being able to see somebody the same day increases the likelihood of them coming back and also attending any referral or consults to higher level care. And you can imagine, so same day access is really important for our folks because travel can be really burdensome. So that's really nice for somebody who has kind of traditionally worked in I would say more of a outpatient 50 minute session type thing and a very siloed mental health clinic type experience. It really requires a, a culture change, a mental shift to what you're going to do. A lot of times I'll get what we call warm handoffs. So this can come from anybody in the clinic, uh, warm handoffs or even people that just walk into the clinic and say, Hey, I want to meet with somebody in mental health. They can do walk-ins. We can do warm handoffs, which say a pharmacist is meeting with somebody and they say, uh, you know, this person, he's not really taking his medication, right? Uh, I think he might be depressed. He seems kind of depressed. And that's all the information I'll have on this person before they sit down in my chair. So the initial visit, this is kind of like a, the main job is, is kind of like a triage. So what needs are present, if any, figure out what those are, and then connect the patient to the right source. Well, there's a lot of different possible outcomes, so maybe there's no follow-up that needs to be done. You know, some of the, the doc and the five minutes that they have to, well, if five minutes if you're lucky, that they have to talk about mental health, picked up on something that, you know, really wasn't a concern. So there's no follow-up needed, or maybe I follow along on the chart to see how folks are doing. Uh, maybe I finish by making a treatment recommendation to the team, or I follow up doing a couple sessions of uh, therapy in the clinic. Maybe I say, okay, maybe let's do 
I do a cognitive screening in there and say, well, let's, let's go into a, a dementia evaluation. I think that might be a good idea. Or in some cases, I'll triage out to a specialty mental health clinic. Say, you know, you've got, you know, a person has uh, a lot of distress stemming from maybe worry-based anxiety or trauma-based anxiety, a lot of traumatic emotional type symptoms. I could send that to a more specialized mental health clinic that targets that specifically. So traditionally in PCMHI, the, the goal is a 20 to 30 minute visit. I mean, just like primary care doctors, you get them in and you get them out. And the reason for that is access. We want to have as many open slots as possible. So in just the same way that uh, geriatricians on a jerry pack have fewer patients on their panel and they have longer with their patients, I feel that as a jerry pack psychologist, the folks benefit from a longer triage session. As you know, I mean, we're working with folks that have sensory issues, cognitive issues. We've got to do cognitive screening that adds time to that initial visit. We're working with caregivers that are present also. So you got to manage a couple people in the room. Uh, sometimes you got to even evaluate the caregiver. Maybe that's more the primary issue. So there's, there's a lot going on there. So I think, I think Jerry packed psychology is at, at a place now where we're, well, I'd say we're able to meet this, this 20 to 30 minute goal. It's been set out kind of broadly, but I don't think it's maybe the best thing in this situation. Mm-hmm. So, so that's where we are currently with that. So other things that might be done, therapy visits. So again, traditionally it's brief 20 to 30 minutes. So you can see somebody on the next half hour. Uh, I usually see somebody 45 minutes to an hour for follow-up therapy. Uh, again, for the same issues, you know, sensory yeah. issues, cognitive issues, those type of things. And then, and this is where I really diverge from my traditional PCMHI colleagues, is in the cognitive evaluations or what I call geropsychological cognitive evaluations. Traditional PCMHI, you, you would really never set out a three-hour block of time to evaluate somebody. But this is specifically what my geriatricians in my clinic have asked for, and it's what I see would benefit this group of folks most. So if you think about, go back to the medical home model, if you go through a thorough dementia evaluation or what I would call it, a, a geropsych cognitive evaluation where you really dig in to kind of the nature of the person and really get to know the patient and the caregivers, having that information to be passed among team members within that pact, having everybody kind of having that that knowledge of kind of who the person is and maybe what some of their strengths and weaknesses are is a really great benefit to the team. Mm-hmm. And I think if, if done well, it really epitomizes the the feel of the medical home model. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm curious, are you asked to do any brief assessments of decision-making capacity, like medical decision-making capacity or ability to live at home independently? You know, those those type of questions don't come up very often for me. Hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I was surprised by that, too. I think they m- might start more so. 
Um, so the social worker in our clinic has developed, uh, it's called a, a shared medical appointment, which is just a kind of a fancy word for a group with multiple types of providers. Mm-hmm. So a shared medical appointment for advanced directives. It's going to have uh, me, the psychologist, kind of talking about values and what you want. And uh, one of our PCPs talking about, you know, what are some of the options that come up on these? Like what is CPR and uh, what is a, you know, feeding tube and, and ventilation and those type of things. And uh, a nurse talking about how to best communicate with your team on that. And then the social work getting into at the end of the group, hey, if, you know, anybody's ready to do this, let's do it. Let's get these advanced directives done. And I foresee that initially we'll probably take some of the, some of the folks that don't have question marks on, well, hey, does this person have capacity to do this? But I think later on, once we get the ball rolling on it, we might have some folks that uh, might be questionable. And then that's where I'll step in with decision making capacity evaluations. Yeah. You know, I kind of wonder if maybe the reason that you haven't seen much of that is because where you work and the clinic that you work in, things are actually working really well. So the thought that's in my mind is that perhaps you're seeing these individuals and you're following them, providing the care to meet their needs. And then when you find that perhaps they might benefit more from home-based primary care than shifting their care over to HBPC. And that might be the place where, you know, now these questions are starting to come up about capacity. It's just a thought. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think so. So these folks are, everybody on our team is really has a pretty rich background in working with older adults and we really do come together to kind of manage holistically things that are going on so yeah it's things are clicking as they should be and that's a i think that's a good point you know you mentioned the shared appointment i think that that's such a really great benefit to patients especially including mental health in that so i definitely can see how having same day access inc- increases the access for these patients also being co-located and being able to have shared appointments i can see that that really helps destigmatize mental health i imagine that there's probably a number of folks that you meet with who may have never had mental health treatment before or ever met with a mental health provider so you can normalize that for them. Absolutely. So I'd say the vast majority of folks that uh, I get handed off to me have never uh, interacted with a mental health professional in, in any way. And so they come in and they, they meet with a, a doctor who they're or an MP who they trust and they bring something up and the PCP says, hey, you know, let's let's get, get you off to this this psychologist we got, he's really good at, at working with X, Y, or Z. And they say, okay, well, if, uh, I guess if the doc thinks it's okay, then let's do it. And I'm <laughs> there, you know, they, they're able to come into my office and see that I'm not uh, going to have them, you know, lie on a couch and do whatever they have in their mind that a psychologist does. Um, yeah. you know, just, uh, they're able to see that, Hey, this is just kind of part of a holistic way to, to treat them. Mm-hmm. 
So you work with a number of different disciplines. I'm curious if you're packed, if they use a specific method of communication or consultation. Do you have team meetings or huddles? How do you communicate with them? Oh, uh, in a lot of different ways. So primarily when somebody's, when they're meeting with somebody and something comes up, they just instant message. And so they're able to say, you know, real time, hey, can you meet with uh, Mr. Jones? He's got X, Y, and Z going on. And there we go. We'll, we'll make it happen. That's primarily the way that uh, that I get folks. So sometimes I'll do what's called scrubbing the schedule. In the morning, I'll look through the vets that are coming in that day and kind of go back a little while and say, okay, this guy, you know, was meeting with a mental health provider and maybe trailed off on that. Maybe that's because he didn't need to anymore, but also maybe it's because uh, things just didn't turn out well or something got lost in the shuffle. Let's bring that up. Or this person reports having a lot of sleep disturbance and, uh, you know, the melatonin's not working. So let's, you know, maybe I'll offer him CBTI or something. So that's one way. I haven't really in my clinic got into huddling much, but that's something that I'm looking into in the future because I know it can be pretty beneficial. Hmm. I know that you recently collaborated with some other folks at VAs on doing a study to investigate how behavioral health care providers are functioning in Jerry Packs. You, you've already talked a little bit about some of the findings, so the number of Jerry Packs that are out there. But were there any other? Things that you found or things that you that were interesting or where you think this information might lead? Absolutely. When I applied for this Jerry Pack psychologist job, I looked up on Google Scholar Jerry Pack mental health. And uh, go ahead. I guess how many how many hits came up? <laughs> I would guess probably when you were applying for a job there, there might have been maybe one, if any. Zero. <laughs> there, there was no research on psychology or, or mental health in general in a Jerry Pack setting. None. Yeah, this so, is really cutting edge stuff that y'all are doing. Yeah, so there's, there's no research out there, and as we've talked about, I think this is a, is a pretty beneficial kind of method of care. So what we did, it was a, it was a survey methodology, and frankly, I got kind of got in on, on the end because I. I have experience being a mental health provider in Jerry Pack, but what they did was they uh, surveyed a lot of physician leaders that are in Jerry Pack clinics. And the main questions were, so what's the, what's generally the mental health presence in Jerry Packs? And uh, what do the physician leads kind of see as uh, a benefit of mental health in Jerry Packs? A little bit about what they found. So about 16% reporting having a psychologist and a psychiatrist present. Wow. Yeah. So about 13% reported having a psychiatrist only and about 14% reporting reported having a psychologist only. So mental health presence and impacts is not is not very high. Folks that had mental health presence, it was more likely to be had in sites that were uh, actually located in geriatric specialty clinics, which makes sense. And another interesting finding was that, or maybe not interesting, but I'm, I'm glad it came out and we're able to say it. So teams with mental health presence are more likely 
to manage psychosocial issues, dementia, and depression. And jury packs with mental health presence are more likely to report having expertise in these areas as well. So, and so that's, that's been published. We have some, uh, unpublished data on this manuscript I've been, been working on for a while with, uh, Aaron Kuby and Brett Hicken throughout the Salt Lake City VA. And this was more of a focus on psychology specifically. It was a mixed method study. The survey methods, we kind of tried to tap in to find as many psychologists working in jury packs as possible. And so we're able to get data from 20 and you think, well, you know, 20, that's a really low end, but in terms of psychologists and Jerry Pack, I'd say that's at least half, if not over half. Oh, that's a really good response, right? Yeah. So we found some interesting stuff. So about 40% of these psychologists working in Jerry, Jerry Pack reported having no time administratively assigned to that role. Wow. Yeah. So no FTEE, which is another, so full time employment equivalent. So it's like one would be, you know, 40 hours. So I'm assigned full time FTEE of one to Jerry Pact. I'm one of the lucky ones. So, but almost half reported having zero FTE. So no time assigned to their work in Jerry Pact. So essentially they are donating their time. Am I understanding that correctly? Well, yeah, kind of. But I think what's happening, because there's kind of a, a dearth of, Jerry, you know, Gerald psychology trained psychologists, they're, they kind of have to be all over the place. I mean, so they need, I need you, you know, over here doing stuff in the CLC and they need you over here seeing uh, some of the more problematic, maybe dementia related behavior stuff we see in mental health clinic and over here in the jerry pack when you can. So we're kind of pulled in a lot of different directions. I think that might be the case. I'm not sure. About 60% of the psychologists reported serving only one jerry pack team. So just one, one packed or teamlet. And that might be why there was uh, such a large group with no FTE. So that might be the case. 20% of those surveyed, uh, manage four to seven jerry pack teams. So, you know, there are some pretty large jerry pack clinics out there. So we went a step further, and I think this is really interesting and important. So we compared the folks that have FTEs and those that do not. So folks that have time administratively to say, hey, yeah, look, you, you need to spend some time in jerry pack, and those that administratively don't have that time, but they're spending their time there anyway. So those with administrative time assigned performed all of the clinical duties that we examined at a higher frequency than those that didn't. So they were doing brief cognitive assessments. They were doing dementia evaluations, capacity evaluations, therapy, caregiver support, and psychological assessment, all at a higher frequency than, than those that didn't have that time assigned. So you can imagine it's not that the need isn't there. Hmm. So they don't have the time to do it. Right. Uh, so I think that advocates for, for getting more folks in there. But, you know, we can't just get anybody in there. I mean, we need folks that uh, have been trained to do this. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a problem nationally. Also, so the qualitative results, are, the ones I'll mention is there was some role confusion that came up. 
And I think, I think that's likely a result of kind of this workload, uh, administrative time assignment conflict. And then also the time demands. So there are some pressure to, to kind of fit in this traditional role of, you know, meet with somebody for 30 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes and then kind of move them along, you know. And because there is no research in this, in this area to say, Hey, this, this model might be better. And we're just going off traditional PCMHI. You know, that's what the higher ups, that's what they, that's what they know. That's what they think. And, and so people are coming out and saying, you know, I don't think, you know, it doesn't seem like 30 minutes is, is really the best thing. So we've got some data on that. So I think. Moving forward, uh, there are a lot of unanswered questions that uh, I really want to tap into and I'm trying to get some things going. So thinking about, so like in which ways are psychology injury pack different from traditional psychology or traditional PCMHI? And we can imagine there, there are certainly some ways. So what's the value of psychology in injury pack? So what is seen as, as some of the most important factors? What are the, what are the mental health needs in Jerry Pack? And are these needs being met? And how are they being met in the clinics that don't have a mental health presence? Cause, you know, if they're present in my clinic, they're going to be present in another clinic. So how are they, how are they being met? You know, maybe the team makeup on other teams is different. People kind of pick up the slack and, you know, do what they can. I don't know. So it's interesting. I want to, I want to dig into this. Like I said, there's, very little research into it, and uh, I, I want to get my hands dirty in this data. Yeah, y- y'all have done a lot of really important work so far in just understanding that the need is there, and you have a lot of work cut out for you. Those are a, a lot of really great questions that I think are really going to help move the model of Jerry Pact forward. I'd be really curious to see what you find from those questions. There might be graduate students or trainees that listen to this episode to get a better understanding of what a Jerry Pact is and what a psychologist role is in Jerry Pact. Is they're starting to shape their clinical experiences and determine what career path they want to take. It might help to know just what a typical day looks like for you or what a typical week looks like for you. Sure. So a typical week, typically do a couple dementia evaluations. So these are shorter batteries. They're not full neuropsych batteries or anything. And that's given time constraints. I typically put a a pretty heavy emphasis on uh, the caregiver and I use a whole person dementia assessment framework. Ben Mast, uh, the University of Louisville put that together. Um, it's kind of out of the, uh, therapeutic assessment type framework. If you're familiar with that in our client's shoes type framework. Mm-hmm. And it's the idea of making assessment as therapeutic as possible. You know, sometimes, uh, you might have had the experience when let's just say you're given an armbands or something that a robot could be doing it. <laughs> I know I have done that. Or you do a whole assessment and it's just there's very little interaction with somebody. And it doesn't feel therapeutic, right? It doesn't feel therapeutic. And so 
When I was a, a fellow, one of the projects I had was to create kind of a step-by-step instruction out of uh, the book that Dr. Mass wrote about how to integrate this into an ongoing memory clinic uh, evaluation process that was going on there at that time. Um, so I use that anyway. So um, a couple of dementia evaluation batteries, some of that is part of a dementia clinic, interdisciplinary clinic that we created in the Jerry Pack. So I see follow-up folks uh, for that and also initial evaluations. That takes quite a bit of time. So we have the advanced directive shared medical appointment kind of getting on board. I do a falls shared medical appointment, uh, which is really interesting. So that's myself and nursing and oftentimes physical therapy and pharmacy are involved in that. And so oh, that's very cool. What does that look like? Yeah. So it's a bunch of different top topics. So home safety, they do a certain exercise class. Uh, I talk about fear of falling. Pharmacist talks about medications that could impair their balance, those type of things. And my job is to, is to kind of do some problem solving, work with folks and developing smart goals for integrating the information that they learned that day into, you know, their time in between session. So that's been a pretty cool experience. And then, of course, I take warm handoffs. So just so some folks that I got this week, a couple of different people with suicidal ideation, uh, loneliness, depression, insomnia comes up quite frequently. Uh, and then we do, I do therapy, quite a bit of therapy. So depression stuff, complicated grief, a lot of adjustment disorder, marital conflict, CBTI or cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. That's one I do pretty frequently. So that's, and of course I have meetings and, you know, that type of stuff. Meeting with trainees, uh, precepting a student this year. So that's kind of what a typical week looks like for me. You, you do a lot of different things. I can imagine that there's really never a dull or a boring moment. It sounds like. Yeah. One of the things I like about this is it, it changes up a lot. Mm-hmm. I, so I imagine someone in your position, you'd have to be comfortable with being very flexible. Right. Yeah. So that's a key. That's a key. So you got to be able to. So like I said, a lot of times you get very little information on somebody before they come in. So if you're used to being able to go through somebody's chart and read all their therapy notes before they come in, you're not going to get that. Mm-hmm. So being able to kind of quickly understand what's going on and kind of quickly make diagnostic and, and treatment decisions is, is important. Can you think of any other skills? Like if, so if you were talking to a trainee, a graduate student right now, any other skills just right off the top of your head that you think someone would need to have or characteristics that someone would want to have going into a setting like this? So in terms of skills, I think for me, so medical psychology and health psychology related training experiences were really, really important for me because, you know, we're working well, well, the the nature of the folks that we work with um, kind of requires knowledge of that. And also we're working in a medical center and we're working with medical folks a lot of Mm -hmm. times. People that make consults to us sometimes speak a, a, a totally weird lingo. And if you're not in on that, you can feel kind of out of place. Yeah. 
Um, so getting that training is really important. And I think any good JARO training gets, gets you that. Mm-hmm. Interdisciplinary training experiences are, are really important as well. Being able to, to kind of effectively interact with a lot of different providers who have a lot of different ways of doing things is really important. And then to some extent, just being able to kind of go with the flow. Uh, so one of the things about PCMHI is that sometimes you can get, you never know what you're going to get on any given day and things, things can be feast and famine. Yeah. When they're, when they're crazy, they're crazy. So, <laughs> um, but that's fun, you know? Yeah. I, I like it. Is there any other training advice that you would offer to a graduate student or a trainee? Are there specific settings that you think one would want to get some experience or exposure to? Well, I mean, so if somebody wants to go into a jerry pack, there are jerry packs out there. Uh, if you can't get in touch with that, uh, a traditional PCMHI will give you the flavor, something that might not seem terribly related but I think would be very beneficial and, and was for me was working in a geriatric evaluation and management unit. So you're going to be working with folks that are pretty ill. Um, you're going to be working in a very medically oriented environment. You're going to be working interdisciplinary with uh, an inter- interdisciplinary setting. It, it kind of gets you out of that comfort zone of being in an office with two comfy chairs and, uh, you know, being able to sip coffee or whatever to hold your clipboard or whatever, it gets you into, you know, you might have to put on those uncomfortable yellow gowns when somebody's on contact <laughs> precautions because they've got MRSA or C. diff or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So just getting in, a, getting in there, getting out of the silo. Uh, yeah. Is, now that's not to say a super traditional outpatient mental health uh, setting is not, is not important. I'm certainly not saying that like, being able to do, you know, that hour long session of, of pretty intense therapy is, is extremely important and there's a place for that. But it, certainly if that's all you have, you, you got to branch out of that as much as you can. Right. Because I, you know, the, the nature of, uh, chariot psychology is, is changing such that we're, we're going to be pulled in, in more directions because there is going to be, there's just not enough geropsychologists or mental health geropsych providers or geriatric providers in general to meet the need of the population that we're going to be seeing soon. So we're going to be pulled in a lot of different directions. Yeah, so absolutely. Having an experience in all those areas is, it will benefit you for sure. Yeah. One thing that the VA has done a nice job with is putting together a short but intensive training in geriatrics, uh, the VA Geriatric Scholars Program. It was initially put together to take those, those providers, those clinicians who are working with a lot of older adults who didn't necessarily get that training when they were in graduate school or internship or fellowship or residency or whatnot and provide that training uh, on the job. And uh, so that's, I think that's a really unique thing that the VA offers. And I can imagine that that would be really helpful for a lot of the PCMHI psychologists in primary care because 
you know, even in a reg, in a traditional primary care setting, you're working with a lot of older adults. As you were saying earlier, the really the more medically complex older adults are the ones that are getting referred to these jerry packed. So you still need to, even in a traditional primary care setting, have that, those knowledge and skills, at least at, to some degree when working in a, in primary care. Absolutely. Yeah. Geriatrics Dollars, I think, is an excellent program. And I've had some colleagues go through that and and have really enjoyed it. Are there any specific resources that you would recommend for trainees who are interested in this kind of clinical setting? Well, I would say go to the research, but there really just isn't any. Uh, (laughs) There's not much. Well, there's not much specific to Jerry Pack, but um, there is some stuff out there on working in interdisciplinary settings with older adults. Um, so kind of look through that, keep your eye to the research, get involved in settings where there is a pretty good history of interdisciplinary stuff. Mm-hmm. And you've mentioned some really good resources throughout. So I'm actually going to include some of that information in the show notes for folks to reference. This was really a lot of fun talking to you about Jerry Pact. I am really passionate about all of these topics that we discussed, improving access, destigmatizing mental health care, and working in interdisciplinary teams. And it sounds like your job is a lot of fun. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I lucked out. <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's episode. You can subscribe to the Jero Psychology Podcast anywhere podcasts are found. Be sure to leave your ratings in the form of stars and comments. If you'd like to communicate with me directly, visit www.thegeropsychologypodcast.com and leave me a message. You can also follow me on Twitter at the Jero Podcast.